Again, thanks for joining us at Prairie View. We're happy that you're here this morning. So last week, Zach preached from John chapter 9, and he continued several themes that we've seen repeatedly in the Gospel of John. And the first theme is simply the power of Jesus. That was obvious last week. I mean, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And that wasn't a deceptive optical illusion. It wasn't some sleight of hand. It wasn't a fluke. By Jesus' power, a blind man regained his sight. Over and over in the Gospel of John, Jesus has the power to do things that only God is supposed to be able to do. Now, the second theme that continued last week is the Jews' rejection of Jesus. After Jesus heals that blind man, he tells the religious leaders that they too are blind, but in a very different way. They might have 20-20 vision from a physical standpoint, but spiritually, they're as blind as bats. They keep missing the obvious work of God right in front of their own eyes. They continually reject Jesus' identity and authority as the Son of God. And what's even worse than their blindness is that they've deceived themselves into thinking that they can see clearly. That's why Jesus says that their guilt remains. Where things currently stand, these religious leaders have nothing to look forward to but judgment. But today we pick up where Zach left off, reading in John chapter 10. And Jesus continues speaking to these same religious leaders from the end of chapter 9. The ones so offended that Jesus would dare call them blind. But as Jesus continues that conversation about blindness, as he builds on that conversation, he gives us a different image to consider. He gives us the image of a shepherd and his sheep. But then he also brings another one of our human senses up. Instead of talking about seeing with your eyes, he talks about hearing with your ears. So why is it that some are blind to Jesus's identity and authority in the Gospel of John, but others see it? Why is it that some in the Gospel of John hear Jesus's words and believe his words, and yet others just don't understand them? For so many, it goes in one ear and out the other. And then not insignificantly, ten chapters into this Gospel, Jesus finally gives us a preview of what lies ahead in the story. The religious leaders have tried time and time again to arrest Jesus, but they've failed every time because his time had not yet come, as John would say. But his time is getting closer, and Jesus knows that, and Jesus starts talking about it. So open your Bibles to John chapter 10, verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you didn't bring yours and take a Bible home with you if you need it. But before we do any further reading, let's pray together as a church family. Father, thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you that we're here another Sunday, that in spite of what happened over the past week, whether it was boring and routine or whether it was stressful and eventful, here we are. It's Sunday morning and we're worshiping. And I pray that that would bring us great comfort to know that whatever it is that happens in our lives, Monday through Saturday, we can gather here 
as brothers and sisters. We can hear from your word. We can take communion. We can be reminded of what it is that your son did for us. And nothing is happening in our lives. None of the circumstances that we're facing right now can change that. That 2,000 years ago, give or take, your son died on a cross and your son rose again and your son ascended and one day your son will return. And so, Father, in the meantime, help us to be faithful to what it is that you've called us to do, who it is that you've called us to be, who it is that you've made us. Help us to live that out. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can call you our shepherd, that you hear us, you care for us, you love us, you provide for us, and that you consider us part of your family because of what your son did. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Christ. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. All right, John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So as we hear Jesus' teaching, there are a few different moving parts to consider, but at the same time, try not to overthink what Jesus is getting at. Try not to overthink the analogy. So the first thing that we see in this analogy is a sheepfold. So picture a big pin out in the middle of the field, not like a ballpoint pin, but like a pin for animals. There's a gate. Maybe there's some kind of trough. And of course, there are fences to make sure all the animals stay in one place. That's what a pin does. It's possible that several families could own one of these pins together and they put all of their animals in it at the same time. The families may even pay someone to stand by the gate and keep an eye on things, just an extra precaution. But then the second thing we see in this analogy is a thief or a robber. This person doesn't use the gate to enter the sheepfold. Instead, he tries to sneak in. Imagine you're driving home one night and you see a person trying to climb into the window of a house. Now, sure, it might be an honest mistake. Someone may have accidentally locked themselves out. I'm sure that's happened to many of us. But when you're driving by, you can't help but be a little suspicious, as you should be. But then third, we see a shepherd. The shepherd enters by the door, by the gate. He doesn't have to try and sneak past the gatekeeper. The shepherd has established himself as trustworthy. He's done this through his love, he's done this through his provision, and his protection of the sheep. Now, in the ancient world, this shepherd wouldn't have been some kind of pretty boy. So get rid of all the paintings that maybe you've seen of Jesus holding sheep and looking so beautifully manicured. This shepherd is probably more like how we'd picture a cowboy. It's probably a little rough, a little tough, a little dirty. That's what shepherds were in the ancient world. So those are our pieces of this analogy, but what actually happens? 
Well, if a robber somehow sneaks past the gatekeeper, he's got one thing in mind, and that's his own interest. He doesn't care about the families who own those sheep. He doesn't care about the gatekeeper trying to keep them safe. He doesn't care about the shepherd who loves these sheep. And he certainly doesn't care for the sheep themselves outside of what they can provide for him. To the robber, the sheep are nothing but objects to provide food or warmth or money. He cares nothing about their well-being and cares nothing about anyone else's well-being. He only cares about himself. Now, if the robber's plot is going to be successful, he's going to have to pick the sheep up and carry them off against their will. That could be hard work. Now, why is he going to have to do that? Because he's a stranger and the sheep won't follow him. They don't know his voice. So when he calls out, they're not going to follow him wherever he goes. They're going to run the other direction. They're going to flee. But then enter the shepherd and look at the difference. The shepherd comes in the door. The gatekeeper knows him. And once the shepherd enters the pen, all he has to do is speak and the sheep follow. And that's a reasonable enough story. It sounds plausible, right? But what's Jesus's point? Well, keep in mind who Jesus is talking to. He's speaking with Pharisees, religious leaders. And what message is he trying to send them? Now, if you're confused, don't worry. The Pharisees are right there with you. So Jesus continues. He develops this imagery a little bit more, but this time he has a few differences. John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Over the past several chapters, Jesus has called himself the bread of life. He's called himself the light of the world. But here he starts out by saying that he is the door. It is only through Jesus that the sheep can find pasture. It's only through him that they can have their needs met. He is the one who keeps predators out, lets friends in, and keeps the sheep together. And it is only through Jesus that we, the sheep, 
can be saved. It's only through Jesus that we, the sheep, can have abundant, eternal life. But then Jesus shifts. He goes from comparing himself to the door to saying that he is the good shepherd. Now, what does that mean? Well, you can start by thinking about a bad shepherd. What does a bad shepherd look like? We see it in Ezekiel chapter 34, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. You know, to be honest, at least in the book of Ezekiel, A bad shepherd is no better than the thief or the robber that Jesus mentioned earlier. Because bad shepherds only care about themselves. And now we can start to see Jesus' point. The religious leaders he's speaking to, the Pharisees, they have been bad shepherds. Like the wicked and ungodly leaders of God's people in the Old Testament, they haven't served God's people well. They haven't loved them. They haven't provided for them. They haven't protected them. They've led them into sin. They've led them into destruction instead of leading them into good pastures. That phrase that Ezekiel used where the sheep are scattered on every high hill, that's no coincidence in the Old Testament because that phrase occurs over and over again. On every high hill is where idol worship occurred. That's where people would go to offer sacrifices to false gods. There were bad shepherds in the Old Testament. And these Pharisees have been bad shepherds as well. They haven't led the people into the presence of God. Instead, they've led them into sin and wickedness and idolatry. I mean, think about it. Remember how they treated the blind man in chapter 9? The blind man is the one person in the entire chapter who actually believes in Jesus, actually worships Jesus, the one who sees, the one who hears. And what did the Pharisees do? They kicked him out of the synagogue. 
What kind of shepherding is that? That is bad shepherding. The kind of shepherding that dishonors and rejects God the Father and only leads people to death and destruction. So those are bad shepherds. But what about good shepherds? Well, there's no better passage to turn to than Psalm 23. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, David knew a thing or two about shepherding from his own experience. And David writes about God as shepherd. He says that God is the true shepherd of his people, the one who loves them and provides for them and protects them. But then when Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, he takes things even one step further. Because when he calls himself the good shepherd, he says that he will lay down his life for the sheep. He will die for them. He's not like some hired hand, somebody who views this as nothing more than a job. The kind of person who runs away at the first sign of trouble. That's not Jesus. Jesus will die for his sheep. Because while on the one hand he is the good shepherd, on the other hand, at the same time, he is the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the shepherd. But he's the lamb as well. And as he goes on, Jesus zooms out a bit and talks about some bigger ideas. There are other sheep not of this fold, and he's referring to Gentiles. It turns out that you don't have to be Jewish to be a part of God's flock. Everyone who believes in him, all who hear, all who see, will be together in God's family. That was part of God's promise to Abraham a long time ago. But unfortunately, many of the Jews appear to have forgotten that part of it. In addition, Jesus makes it clear that he will give up his life. It will not be stolen from him. Every time the religious leaders have tried to steal his life from him, what's happened? They failed. Jesus' life will end when he gives it up, according to the Father's timing. No one else's. And then finally, Jesus says that he will take his life up again. And that's the first explicit mention of the resurrection in the Gospel of John. Jesus knows that his death will be gruesome. He knows his time is coming. But he also knows that his death won't be done. So these words so far have been a stinging indictment against the religious leaders. They have failed to shepherd God's people well. And their most spectacular failure is their rejection of Jesus. But then on top of that, these words have been a powerful assertion of Jesus' authority. He's not the guy who's criticizing everyone else and failing to offer solutions himself. He actually is 
the solution. If you look back at that Ezekiel passage we read a few moments ago, God continues in Ezekiel 34, verse 11. Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. A long time ago, way before Jesus, God had promised that one day he's going to provide a good shepherd. One day he himself would shepherd his people. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. In a day of clouds and thick darkness, the true light has come. The good shepherd. God in the flesh. The one that God promised much earlier. But then as the chapter continues, verses 22 through 42, the confrontations continue as well. To the point of the Jews even trying to stone Jesus. They make demands that Jesus tell them plainly whether or not he is the Messiah. The problem being, of course, that they have the wrong idea of what the Messiah is even going to do. But then Jesus responds in chapter 10 of John, verse 25. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe me because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So a few observations to consider in this passage. A few things to think about from all the verses that we've read. Number one, lots of images may pop into your mind when you think about God. Imagine if someone walked up to you on the street and said, hey, if you had to describe God in one image, what would you say? Well, one question to consider is how does the image of a good shepherd help us better understand God? In the pages of scripture, as we've seen a little bit this morning, God is often compared to a shepherd, the kind willing to go out looking for one lost lamb. God does not look at his people as objects to be used or consumed or taken advantage of. Instead, he sent his son to die for us, that we might have abundant and eternal life. How does that image of a shepherd Help us understand God. 
Observation number two. Are you willing to submit yourself to God as shepherd? Sheep are helpless animals. They aren't smart. They aren't fast. They aren't strong. They have no means of providing for themselves. They have no means of defending themselves. And in the big scheme of things, we're helpless too. We are all in desperate need of God's love, provision, and protection. We need not only a savior from our sins, but we need a shepherd for our guidance. Now, submission, as we talked about recently, submission's not easy. But it is easier when you know that the one you're submitting to is good and holy and loving. To be a Christian is to admit your need for a shepherd. You know, independence looks good on paper. It sounds good. But it doesn't lead to eternal, abundant life. A lone wolf can probably take pretty good care of itself for a while. But we're not wolves. We're sheep. Observation number three. There's a difference between seeing and hearing in this passage. The religious leaders saw Jesus' miracles. They couldn't deny them. The proof was right in front of them. And yet they still rejected Jesus. How? Why? Because they didn't hear his voice and follow. They weren't part of his flock. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is have we heard his voice? And have we followed? Are we part of his flock? Because Jesus' sheep know him. And Jesus' sheep can't help but listen to his voice. Observation number four. We're all part of one flock. You know, this individual church and every other individual church, they're all diverse in their own ways. Races, levels of education, socioeconomic background, interests. But the greater body of Christ is even more diverse. And are we willing to be a part of a flock where not everyone is like us? Because in spite of our differences, we're all on the same playing field before God. Sheep in need of leadership. Observation number five. Those of us who are church leaders, elders, pastors, we often refer to ourselves as shepherds, the way the New Testament speaks about church leaders. We have a weighty responsibility. The greatest shepherding failure of the religious leaders in the New Testament The Pharisees in this passage, the greatest way they failed their people is that they rejected Jesus. Because they did not submit to the good shepherd, they became illegitimate shepherds. And as leaders in the church, the best way that we can lead the sheep at Prairie View is remembering that we're sheep too. And that we need to submit to Jesus, the good shepherd. And final observation, there is great joy and there is great assurance in being part of Jesus' flock. Jesus says that no one will take his life away from him. And in the same way, no one will take his sheep away from him. As we read in John chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That should give us, the sheep, great joy, great assurance, great peace, 
and great comfort. Now, on the night that Jesus gave himself up to the cross, he cited prophecy from the book of Zechariah. That prophecy said that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep, a.k.a. his disciples, would be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. When it became clear that Jesus was unwilling to defend himself at his arrest, when it became clear that Jesus was going to lose, his disciples fled. They fled like that hired hand that Jesus talked about, the one who runs away when a wolf approaches the flock. And yet, Jesus dies for them anyway. Instead of demanding the blood of the unclean, wicked, guilty, cowardly sheep who got themselves into this mess called sin, instead of demanding the blood of the sheep who left their shepherd to die alone, God provides a shepherd and a savior. Not just any shepherd, but the kind of shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. And those who repent of their sin and believe in his name, in other words, those who hear his voice and follow, are saved from death and saved from destruction. And we are led into a pasture of abundant eternal life. So may we as individuals this morning, and may we as a church body, hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, and may we follow him where he leads us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for shepherding us. Even though we can be stubborn, even though we can get ourselves into trouble, even though we can so often wander into places that we shouldn't go. You continually love us and care for us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You are a good shepherd. So, Father, I pray that we would submit ourselves to your shepherding. Again, we can be stubborn. There are times that we want to do things our way. We want to go where we want to go. But thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness that you continually and gently call us back to you and draw us back to you. So, Father, I pray that as we leave here this morning, we would leave here with joy and confidence and assurance, knowing that we have a good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And because we have that good shepherd, because of what your son did for us, we have abundant and eternal life. We have rest and pasture and still waters to look forward to. Help us to be faithful. We love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, near the end of our service, our elders will be standing at the sides of the room. And they'd be happy to talk with you, happy to pray with you, happy to answer your questions whatever it is that you might need. As we prepare to get into our time of communion, let's stand together as we sing another song.